On this week's episode of the Horror Podcast, we're talking about island poetry, European apartments, the mountain goats, monkey experiments, and we have some thoughts from a retired Marine that writes reviews on Amazon about the movie The Night Eats the World. Welcome to episode 24, season 2 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and by day, I'm a mild-mannered teacher, and by night, I'm the loudest motherfucker at the Soccer Dome. Seriously, there's a place called Soccer Dome, and, like, the 8- to 12-year-olds play soccer, and parents spend the whole time yelling at them. It's just like Thunderdome. But, (laughs) thankfully, I keep my aggression in check by running the media juggernaut that is Signal Horizon and and co-hosting this podcast with my buddy Mike over here. What's going on, Mike? Oh, not much, man. Not much. I think I'm coming down with a cold, which kind of sucks. But, uh, hey, yeah, you know. But, hey, last week, had a great time with J.D. uh, uh, J.R. Hamatoshin. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was guy, uh, it was a trip. <laughs> that guy is an absolute hoot to talk to. Um, yes. However, I am gonna avoid the rum tonight. Have no one too many last me. time? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. So, hey man, what you reading? What you watching? What you what you into this week? Yeah, man. Um, so lots of stuff. I think uh, most of my time has been spent with Brian Kirk's new novel. Uh, which is called Will Haunt You. And it's essentially about a fucked up book. And hmm. it uh, I'm not done with it, so I don't want to say my, my uh, review is going to be out anytime soon, probably a week or two. But it's a little bit Jacob's Laddery, a little bit Hellraiser. Hail there is some just messed up imagery in it. But it's a great and, and fast read. So I'm, I'm a big... Uh, Brian Kirk fan after reading this one. So awesome. Yep. Um, I have, I, I'm, I'm a terrible, uh, horror literature guy. Cause I've never read strange weather. So I'm checking that out. And I just watched I O on Netflix. It was just okay. And, okay. uh, a thing that is not just okay. That is really awesome is true detective. It seems to be capturing, you know, the the kind of imagery and the theme and the feel of the first one. I know you're watching it. What do you think so far? I'm absolutely loving it. I'm just, I'm waiting for somebody to yell Carcosa at some point. Ah, you know? Carcosa. <laughs> I think, I think, I think we started to get maybe into a little bit of weirder territory near the end of the last episode. So yeah, but you know, I, I, I keep reminding people though, that the, uh, that the weird, the weird factor in the first season didn't really get cranked up until a couple episodes in. Right. Oh yeah, at least I. I mean, it it had an eerie quality about it for sure, but mm-hmm. there was no like the king in yellow or Carcosa or any of that <laughs> shit until well yeah. into the into the series yeah. when people were hooked, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like it, and and I will tell you, it 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 plays really well with age, and of all the things that terrify me, it's that point where you know when you're older that you're slipping, you know, that you don't remember things quite as well, that you maybe need more help that you, I don't know, are, are not the person that you were. And uh, I, it is leaning heavy into that. And I, I love it. And there's nothing creepier in my mind. Mm, I hear you. Yeah. I've been slipping for a long time now, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were never not slipping. Like <laughs> <laughs> that chain fell off a long time ago, buddy. Uh. <laughs> so what about you? What else are you watching? Oh well, I you know I, I read on uh, Signal Horizon about this uh, some some guy wrote this uh, this review of this cool movie called Night Eats the World. Mm. And I, yeah, and I watched it. It was really good. So yeah, that uh, that critic sucks. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think his name was Tyler. Yeah, yeah. What an yeah. asshole. Yeah. Um, I'm reading. I'm reading some really cool stuff right now. Uh, have you ever heard of a band called the Mountain Goats? Of course, I love the mountain goats. Yeah, so uh, John Darnielle, the um, b- basically like he is the mountain goats, right? Um, and, and, and many times in the band's career, he's been the only person in it. Um, he cool. also writes fiction. Did you know that? I did not. 
Like what? Like dark fiction? Or? It is. It well. It is totally awesome. I, I think there there's a great uh, interview that I read with him, and I I don't know if I'll be able to find it and put it back in the show notes. But um, he talks about genre, and he's like he's like yeah, you know, like it's marketed like as literary, but you know, like what does that mean? You know, like cool. I, he's like he's like I I just want to write a book where uh, it creates. Uh, I think he says something like where it creates space for questions to be asked and people to to ask questions and maybe find some of their own answers his uh his first book was a was a, a novella um but his first novel is called wolf in white in white van and it came out in 2014 um i read a sample chapter on vice and i'll put a link to that sample chapter in the show notes it had me hooked uh from that sample chapter um so it was called Wolf in White Van. Yep. And it's uh, not genre exactly, but it is written from the perspective of someone who really knows a lot about the genres and some of the other kind of things that that I'm really interested in and kind of you're really interested in too. But it's uh, a lot of it's different enough that it's not kind of pandering, nostalgic. It's it's just great. The whole, the whole okay. book is great. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I don't know if I'm going to read it. Mostly because I feel like it's a it was a missed opportunity that he didn't call it goat in white van. I mean, come on, yeah, yeah, right. No. It seems like easy. That's a that's a it's <laughs> perfect. It's a gimme right there. Yeah, no, I mean it's got it's got. I I, I was just really really surprised. I knew that he w- that he had a really good kind of like that he could write kind of this like prose in song form, but to be able to draw that out into a novel and do some of the really interesting kind of like big picture things that he works with in the novel is really, really good. So I'm reading his second book now uh, called Universal Harvester. It's uh, um, way kind of creepier. It's the it, it has a lot to do with these VHS tapes that have weird yes. stuff recorded over them. I thought that you would, yeah, totally like, totally dig that. Um, universally, it was kind of, people say that it's not quite as good as Wolf and White Van. I'm enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet, but... So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. So I dig it. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, but I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes that uh, to that sample chapter. I mean, it had me. It had me hooked. Like seriously, like I couldn't. I couldn't hardly go to sleep. I wanted to go get the book like right then and start reading. So love it. Yeah. Must have been a good article. I'm digging it. Oh hey you you got you got you got something for uh, dark corners of the web this week. Yeah yeah we got to put in our our bumper. Okay. So you got to add some uh, reverb over this or whatever. Ready? Here we go. Okay. Dark corners of the web. The God, that's that's terrible, dude. Anybody, that's, seriously, anybody, make us a bumper. Terrible. And we will give you credit for it, and uh, it you hear that instead of that terribleness. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I have kind of two dark corners. First off is a web streaming service for movies called Canopy. Okay. And Canopy works uh, through your main library, and you sign up using your library card, and it gives you access to thousands of movies for free, including all of A24's, like, uh, Academy Award-winning stuff. Like, it's amazing the amount of stuff that is available on Canopy for free. Wow. You can watch you can watch like I, I think it's up to three movies a week using the service that is a hundred percent free. Wow. And so but it goes through your library. Yeah, it goes through your local library. It'll ask you to sign up using your local library card. Um to be fair, I I'm a mid continent library guy, but they didn't have access to the mid continent library. So they directed me to set up an account with a Kansas City Public Library. Mm-hmm. And I signed up through the Kansas City Public Library uh, service. I got an ID. They had me set up my pin and it gave me access to canopy. I mean, it was the easiest freaking thing I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to a former student who was like making movies and that kind of stuff. And he's like, you have to, you have to get the service. It's amazing. Huh? So does the content differ based on which library you go through? No. Cause it's a separate service. Essentially the oh. library just provides your access point. It's so- an app. So. Huh. So, so, so if you live in Idaho, you could get on there and get all that A24 content. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very cause, cool. Because they add it to the service. They don't add it to the service through your um, 
like through through your account. Okay. So it just provides you access to it. Huh. It's Very really cool. pretty amazing. So, and as I'm looking back through the catalog, like there are a handful of movies that are nominated for Academy Awards this year in some capacity that are already available. Really? So, wow. Yeah. Like First Reformed is on there. Um, they have Lady Bird, which was nominated last year. But like, I mean, it, it is amazing to me. And a massive, here's the best part, listeners, the best part, uh, a massive horror library that's a part mm. of Canopy. So, yeah, dude, it's like the best thing ever. But if you like books like we do, then the audiobook version of Canopy is called Overdrive. And you sign up using your library and you can check out up to like 20 books on, you know, audiobooks uh, at a time. Each audiobook is good for 21 days and can be renewed for another 21 days. So when I talked about uh, reading Strange Weather, I'm actually listening to it via Overdrive. That is fantastic. I do, I do use Overdrive and, and Overdrive, but it but that uh, service is based on your library, like the content will change based on your library and you might have to wait to get it. It's, it's like checking out. A That's book. true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause you have to like put a hold on whatever. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. it is. It, it, but it, it is, it is a very, very good service. And, uh, I, I use that because, you know, with audible, you only get like one book a month, you know, and, yep. and, and, and you have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got to pay for it. Okay, cool. I like, I like that dark corner of the web. Very good. Yeah, man. Yep. 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 All right, so hey, let's um, let's talk about the movie a little bit without spoilers, and then we'll ring the spoiler bell and talk about this really cool movie, um, Night Eats the World. Yeah, La, nu- la Nuit de le Monde. <laughs> you took French. I, I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. I, I like Spanish a lot better because uh, everything's phonetic. There's mm-hmm. no there's no silent letters or any of that other bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, I took five years of it, and that accent is t- still fucking terrible. So please don't, please don't say that, because some, you know, one of our listeners is gonna be like, "Yeah, Tyler, that was not correct," but whatever. Yeah. I made so an I, attempt. So I, I really like this movie, and mm-hmm. uh, it just, it just came out. It was, it came out what last year? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it, it looks like the first reviews started coming out at the end of the summer. So. Okay, and it, and it just, uh, it's on Netflix now, right? Yep. Uh, it's on, um, no, actually I think I watched it on Amazon prime. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. I had to, I think I had to pay to watch it on Amazon prime. Yeah. So, but this, this is kind of the first, um, it hasn't been on there for very long. So I think a lot no. of people may not have heard of this movie. It is really good. It's a zombie movie. So it's definitely yep. in your kind of wheelhouse. Let's talk about how cool the movie is. And then we'll get into a little bit about, uh, our essential question for the day. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think any conversation should start with a brief synopsis, which is essentially uh, the morning after a party, a young man, his name is Sam, wakes up to find that Paris has been invaded by zombies. And uh, the bulk of the movie is just following Sam around as he uh, tries to figure out what the fuck to do. Mm-hmm. Sam's played, I think, incredibly well by Anders Danielson Lai. And what Lai does essentially by himself through 90% of this movie is nothing short of remarkable. And I I think probably deserves a lot more acclaim than he gets. I mean, Jesus Christ, Tom Hanks, who I also love, like he's a great dude. But remember like how everybody fell all over himself when he was in Castaway and they were like, it was just him. He only had to act, you know, in front of a volleyball like it. Yeah. And, and it was great. But I think that like Lai is doing really great stuff with a with a cast that is giving him nothing because they're not supposed to be, you know, because they're all zombies. Because they're all zombies. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I I mean... I was enthralled by that performance and I was enthralled by this kind of new take uh, or new ish take on the zombie genre. Yeah. And, I mean, you I was, know, I love zombies. Yeah. I, I was waiting the whole time for a, um, for a, uh, you know, like bust out the, uh, bust out the arc welder and, uh, you know, will the cow catcher under the front of a car montage yeah. or something like that. Like, like what, like, wasn't he supposed to find a machine gun somewhere? You know? Yeah. This is definitely a different kind of 
zombie movie, right? Oh, for sure. And I think now might be a good time. We can we can discuss it before we get into spoilers. So every year, Signal Horizon hosts uh, Zombie One Hundred and One through the universe uh, through Truman State University, where a group of high school students get together and talk about um, essentially uh, what zombies mean in a sociological perspective. Okay, and one of the things that we talk about at camp that I think is really important here is that there are really two types of zombie movies. There is uh, that kind of arc welding, cow catching, you know, like action zombie movie, which mm-hmm. I love. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's super fun. And like, it, it is everything gory and great about horror movies generally when they kind of lean into that. Mm-hmm. But there is this growing subgenre of this subgenre that are character studies that really use the environment of the zombie apocalypse to tell bigger stories about uh, the human experience or about the, the individual characters portrayed. And I think this movie fits so well into that second category. That's part of the reason I think you and I just fell in love with this movie. Yes, it reminded me of another very, very good zombie genre movie called uh, The Battery. Yeah, The Battery is yeah. is fan freaking tastic. If you haven't seen The Battery, you got to find a way to f- see that one too. Because again, yeah, you're right. It's it's a character study of 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 one person kind of shown through the the lens of this zombie uh, genre. It's great. It's great and. Um, uh, really, really interesting because it's all kind of in one building too. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the setting because I think that apartment complex is uniquely Parisian, right? It's it's feels very urban. It feels very old school, like it's plaster and you know that kind of stuff. Uh, but it makes the whole film feel really tight and kind of claustrophobic and. I mean, we'll probably get into this later, but it feels a little bit like a desert island, right? Which is exactly, I think, the feel that they're going for. So, uh, yeah, man, I think the setting is really important. And I thought to myself the entire time, this movie could be a play. There's no functional reason why why it it couldn't work that way, you know? So I, I think the kind of almost stage quality about it the theatrical elements of it also help in in giving us that character study i'll buy buy that i'll buy that yeah so when i when i lived in madrid i lived in a building that was a little bit it was it was similar to this it was not not quite as as upscale uh the building that we lived in was a uh pre uh pre-civil war um pre-spanish civil war um brick uh building but it had the same kind of similar qualities of like you know it was open on the inside it had these like these like kind of those weird stairways these kind of blind corners um i i i did at one point um knock a hole in the floor and i would go into my no shit i I would go into my neighbor's um apartment every time i wanted to smoke a cigar because he had great cigars so huh (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking um, oh, no. I, I get it. You're making a reference to the. I get you. Sorry, <laughs> I'm a so, little slow. It's a little yeah, late no. in the day. It's all right. It's all right, man. So, uh, so yeah, no. And, and so that kind of brought back a little bit of kind of kind of uh, a little bit of nostalgia for me. But I thought it was so cool that it was set in the middle of Paris, and that uh, because that kind of heightens the loneliness. Because you think it's this it's this thing with like, well, I mean, how can you be lonely inside of a major city? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, people are lonely inside of major cities all the time, even when there aren't zombie apocalypses. So it's a, uh, it's great. It's great. Way, way, way better than setting it in in a in an old tired uh, uh, farmhouse or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and again, I think a really fascinating conversation is that conversation about the isolation of ruralness, right? Rurality. I don't uh-huh. even think that's a word, but we'll say it is. <laughs> it is not. Uh, and then that similar feeling of isolation in the urban core. You know. Yeah, I'll buy. I'll buy that. And then, and then I, I don't know if you, and then if you go to like a happy medium of like 
suburbia, right? I mean, that would bring in a whole different kind of slew of like artificiality and um, and that kind of stuff if you were going to set it in, um, in in a suburban area. So yeah, I mean, setting setting super important. All right, man, are you re- are you ready to ring the spoiler bell? Because we are going to spoil the absolute hell out of this movie. And if you haven't seen it, you really ought to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't 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 let our take on this movie be the first take that you get without seeing this movie because uh as as smart as we like to think we are we're we're not going to do it justice so go check it out yeah okay man what's our essential question and then we'll ring that bell uh what can night eats the world tell us about social interaction and social isolation Alrighty, we rang that spoiler bell, so spoilers ahead. So isolation, definitely a major topic in this particular um, in this particular movie. What? Uh, where do you think we ought to start? Well, um, the first thing that popped into my brain in talking kind of through this movie with my wife, who typically is not uh, a gigantic horror horror movie fan, but when she realized it wasn't full of gore and, you know, it was a different type of movie, she sat down and watched it with me. And I think she probably liked it as much as I did. But the first thing in our conversations that occurred to me, I teach my speech and debate class about Maslow's hierarchy of needs every year. And it, that was the first thing that popped into my brain. Do you remember exactly what's going on with Maslow's hierarchy of needs or should we go through it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pyramid and you've got the mm-hmm. things that are, you got the more basic things at the top and then you have self-actualization or the more, more basic things at the bottom of the pyramid. And then you have like self-actualization at the top of the pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid is like, you know, food, clothing, shelter, Doritos, beer, you know, you go one up, you know, you've got, um, what, like safety, security kind of stuff. The next level is... I don't know. It gets it gets muddy in the middle. It gets muddy. Why 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 are you put me on the on the spot like this, man? I thought you did a pretty good job with it. <laughs> You're okay. good. You're good. All right. But like as you walk through those levels, that's exactly what Sam has to do, right? He starts out at the oh, very bottom. You're remember? right. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he he has to procure immediately a, like a place to live. So he locks all the doors, right, and makes sure that nobody can you know kill him or whatever. And uh-huh. then he procures food and water and clothing, right? So he goes through that process. And Abraham Maslow's argument essentially is you deal with the the level of need that you have until you get it, and then you have to achieve the next one to move up. Otherwise, you get stuck in this kind of point of stasis, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, pretty high up on his ladder, but a really important part of that is love and belonging and the idea that you have companionship, right? So, uh, I always explain it to my kids. Like Maslow says, you have to get your crap first, right? And then you have to protect your crap, right? Which is safety and security. And then once you do all of that, then you got to have somebody to share all your crap with, right? Because <laughs> no, otherwise like it's just it, yeah. you sitting around with all your crap, right? And that's no, that's no fun, you know? Like, it's way more fun to play your Xbox with somebody else than it is to sit around and play by yourself the whole time, right? So that is what Sam is going through, right? He, he is he's essentially reaching this level of love, love and belonging and then realizing there's maybe nobody else that's left there. And that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it. This movie reminded me, obviously, a lot of Battery, right? For yep. for reasons that we've already discussed. But it reminded me of a different um, novel uh, entirely in its structure, which was um, I Am Legend. Yeah, you talked to me about that. Unpack that idea. Not not the latest. Not the latest novel. Or I mean, I'm sorry. Not the latest movie, right? Um, but the the original novel. Uh, spoilers for I Am Legend. I think everybody that's a zombie fan probably has to has to read it. It is you would agree, right? I mean, it's like a foundation kind of cornerstone. Even though they don't call them zombies in the in the in the book, it's kind of a cornerstone of this zombie apocalypse genre, right? Sure, for sure. I, it's it's yeah, it's absolutely a staple that I think everybody needs to read. But I, you know, like it may or may not be a zombie, but yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in in I Am Legend, and then there was there was a I think was it was it Charlton Heston that was in the movie Omega Man. Omega we, Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, anyway, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, there's this apocalypse. Everybody turns into what they call ghouls. Guy, you know. Um, he fortifies his house and he gets all of his stuff together. I think most people are probably familiar with 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 the with the the, the book, but um, it follows uh, what is the castaway story model, right? Which um, was is an old kind of story model, and when you, you can think about like works like Robinson Crusoe or Swiss Family Robinson, and of course later you already mentioned Castaway, but also uh, the movie Hatchet. Or I'm, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. the, the book, the book hatching, yeah. you know. Um, so, I mean, the core is that our characters are cut off from society or society has ceased to exist or whatever. There are many action packed scenes of them dealing with their new situation by their wits. It's the survival situation. Right. But they eventually become lonely. They have to deal with the loneliness as well. And uh, they almost always start as like very, <clears throat> you know, like average people. Uh, or people that have not proven themselves, and then they get to prove themselves, right? So you see that our, our main character in um, in Night Eats the World, I mean, he's, what, pretty normal, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, he's pretty normal. Um, he's not particularly tough, right? That's, uh, I think, a trope that you see come up quite a bit in these movies. It's that you have to kind of find your inner, like, your inner survivalist or whatever, you know? Like oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, he's, and, so he's even like, he's like totally emasculated at the beginning of this movie. Right. Right. I mean, he, he goes over like to his ex-girlfriend's place. Like, can I have my tapes back? I mean, it's kind of, and he gets pushed around by the new boyfriend. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, he is just, uh, just a dude that's barely capable of running his life, let alone, um, you know, running his life in the middle of this zombie apocalypse. But as the movie kind of progresses, you start to see him uh, get tougher, right? Like you both physically, but also mentally, you know, like he has to learn to solve some problems. He has to like, I think he's got to kill some zombies. He's got, you know, like, yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got, he's got to use a gun. He's got to bust some stuff down. He's got to be smart too, right? He's got to collect the rainwater. He's got to, I I was wondering exactly why he was weighing out his, um, his coffee. But I think that's just because, you know, when you're, you got to weigh your coffee before you grind it and put it into your AeroPress now. Well, fuck, I have no idea what that even is. We, it's a we big, have a Mr. Coffee here in the Unsel uh, household. All right. so. a very, very hipster thing. Very hipster thing. Anyways. Um, I always kind of took that as him like being really careful in how he was like yeah. rationing out his shit. Of course. Of course. Um, but, but you know, in, in all of these kind of castaway story model um, things, uh, you, you wind up with uh, the characters get into a funk, right? Yeah. And... Um, and the the neat thing about it is that the they eventually have to be rescued or rescue themselves because the the memorable scenes and the action um, they take place in the meat of the survival situation, but the point of the story is always their reintegration back into society. Yeah. Okay. I'm- I think you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. I totally buy that. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually I went back and I, I read a uh, a synopsis of of Hatchet, and there's like a whole kind of part at the at the end of Hatchet that I didn't even remember because I read it when I was in fourth grade. I'm like, all oh, this all this like survival stuff is really cool, and then I totally forgot the other stuff. But um, you know, the um, they they have to get back, otherwise the story would kind of like not really be be a story. Uh, and that reintegration. Uh, the, they bring something from the experience back to the rest of the world or their old lives at, at that point. Um, yeah. Well, but, and, and, and I think, and maybe this is too meta, maybe too far, but like I, I, they have to get back to society. Otherwise, like it's almost as if their story doesn't, doesn't, happen. doesn't ever get told. Yeah. Right, yeah. I right. mean, so like, like if if uh, if on in Castaway, if Tom Hanks would have died from eating a bad clam, you know, 
I've eaten some bad clams before. <laughs> I know, but but think about it, man. That could have killed, or, or you know, his his bad tooth or whatever. You know, yeah. Um, that you know, scene that, is fucking brutal. By it the is, way, it yeah. is. And, but his, you're right. His story would never get would never get told. So so that's why I think I am legend is such an interesting turn on that castaway story model, right? Because. At the end, when he comes back, it's not him that has changed. It's rather the entire world and the shocking, horrific conclusions that that entails. And that's the turn at the end of I Am Legend. Right? You just fucking ruined that book for everybody. I, I, told, I told him. I told him okay. that there was going to be spoilers, right? All right. Fair. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's the I, – I think the real difference in that movie – well, I, I think some of that is the difference in in the portrayal of zombies too, right? Because the zombies in Iron Legend can communicate; they they experiment with like subterfuge and like mm-hmm. I, I, like they, there is a little more going on there, you know. Like it's not that Sam is a relic of old Paris here, you know. Like the the zombies aren't some new evolutionary step, you know, like they just be fucking flesh eating zombies, you know, like, well, but, but notice, so notice what gets Sam kind of out of his funk, right. Is the introduction of a female character. Sure. Just, just like in I am legend and just like in I am legend, um, that female character turns out to be not what we expected. Uh, yeah, yes. Um, I think even before you get there though, right. They both make plays at having uh, at like an animal familiar, right? Like uh, in Iron Legend, he tries to nurse this dog back to health that dies. Not like the movie, which is totally fucking different. But he does the same with the cat and it almost costs him his life in, you know, in, in Night Eats the World. And I love that that cat like would rather be with these zombies, you know, like it, it is running <laughs> in and out of the leg of these zombies, you know, and like wants nothing to do with this guy, which I think is really interesting and may have something to say about the cats, uh, feelings towards everything. But yeah, I think there are some pretty significant parallels between the two. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's like a ripoff or anything like that, but it just mm-hmm. it it for me, um, it, it really heightened that expectation of, of of the reintegration. Right. Yeah. Whether it be positive or negative or the eventual kind of like they get to safety or something like that. I mean, the movie ends on and we rang that spoiler bell. It it ends on just like this. It feels it feels like it's a kind of a good ending and, it, and it, it's a satisfying ending. But you could imagine that that same ending put into other contexts and it would be like not even make any sense. Right. Yeah. Would, I, I I think that's interesting. So you read that ending as purely positive. No, I mean, I didn't read it as, as purely positive, but I read it. I, I was satisfied with the ending. Yeah. And I, oh, I and, was too, for sure. And, and I, and I feel like because, because he got out of the house and he made it to the next, he, he made it to the next house. Like that's a win. And I think it became, a win and it became meaningful because um, because there was this this expectation of reintegration that was totally dashed by um, when he finds out that, you know, the girl was dead the whole time and he was going yeah. crazy inside the house. And those realizations, you know, kind of get him out of his funk. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's I, I thought the ending was so great and, and ultimately very, very satisfying. I don't know if I'm as positive about it as you are. I'm not negative. I don't think I don't think I have a negative reading of it. It's just when you look at all of those houses, right? And they all look the same, all those roofs, right? Yeah. With all of those chimneys. It 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 is like this vast freedom, right? Cuz you kind of get the sense that he can travel by rooftop pretty easily, at least to all of those. Uh, but also they all look the same and there are so fucking many of them, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, he's got to get through all of those, what, to get to the Seine or whatever river that is, you know, like Jesus, I don't know. It seemed daunting. It seemed like how daunting 
that total freedom can be, you know? Yeah. But it didn't, so it didn't, it didn't feel like a cliffhanger though. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And, and because I, I don't think that you would make another one of these movies, right? It was, it was, it was an ending and I think it worked as an, as an ending. If, if, if this was just kind of your regular zombie movie, this would, that would not have worked as an ending flat out. Yeah. You know, it would have been like, it would been like, oh, and then they ended it on this cliffhanger and it was dumb, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think because they, because they made it so meaningful, him getting, just getting out of the house, right? And just making it that next step. You're like, damn, you know, the guy, I mean, he might get eaten like in the next building or whatever, but at least he had a win. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least he was able to get himself out of the funk. Right. And that's, that's why um, I really think one of the most important like pieces of art that I think shares the same space with this movie is uh, John Donne's poem, No Man is an Island. Are you familiar at all with that poem? I am. I have, I have not read it in, a, in a, quite a while, though. Are you going to recite some poetry for us, Tyler? I mean, I can recite like the lines that I remember vaguely, okay. which uh, are like, no man is an island unto himself. Every man is a, uh, a part of the main. Uh, I don't know. Something. Long okay. story short, uh, it also stands as the opening to A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. So hmm. there is a lot of, I think, literary connection to be made there. But John Donne's argument is that you can't go at life by yourself. You know, that every single um, action that you take, every single uh, choice that you make in your life will ultimately have an impact on somebody else. And that's a good thing, that you should live your life with these attachments and an understanding that, like, you matter to the world and the matter, and, and the world matters to you, you know? And I was... And, go ahead. And, and I think I think that's, that's something that gets missed out on Sometimes in apocalyptic fiction, sometimes. And I think it's something that gets missed out a lot on in uh, people's like preparations for disasters, real or perceived. Right? Yeah. Okay. I totally, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Like the, at least half of Zombie 101 is about disaster preparedness. And it is amazing how the adolescent mind and i would argue even the adult mind when they go into this survival type of atmosphere they the social connections the social cohesiveness right uh is the f- first thing to go with these people you know like uh w- with people that find themselves in those particular scenarios and I, and i'm not saying that's necessarily wrong but we tend to celebrate that i think in our popular fiction and i don't think that's particularly healthy i think that is uh that i don't know that that kind of appeals to this like i don't give a fuck kind of libertarian i mean nor 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 do i think it's realistic right because if you look at if you look there if you look at normal like if you look at historical disasters right there is some looting there is some you know kind of stuff that goes on but for the most part, people continue to act civilly towards the, towards each other, and they work together, and they share, and it's um, you know, it's 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 not like it is portrayed in the movies. So, um, I, the only thing that I would say is that if you are looking to uh, try to prepare and you're looking to spend some money, instead of buying guns and bullets, you should buy um, a Weber grill and a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, uh, of. Uh, Barbecue and have a barbecue for you and all your neighbors. Then you'll then you'll know who they are, and yeah. you will you will you will know their names, and you'll make a relationship, and that is what gets you through uh, disasters rather than. Yeah, so it reminds me of, and I think I've talked about it on here before. A great, great oral history horror novel called Fantastic Land, and. It is mostly about how like this Disney World type place kind of goes apeshit and a bunch of kids kill them, kill one another. But the last chapter is told by this National Guard crew as they go through and liberate areas of the South after this gigantic hurricane. Mm-hmm. And the big argument that they make that that Mike Bakovin, the guy that wrote the book, makes 
is the communities that like worked together to solve problems did significantly better, right? Like they had less starvation. They had left less, you know, actual violence, but they like were able to tough it out for three or four months. It's the, these small pockets, these small enclaves that either didn't know their neighbors or that really worshiped this, like, you know, I, I, lack of a better term, libertarian, you know, like I'm going to go make it on my own. And so it was every well, man the, for themselves. The cult know? of preparation. Right. Like those communities were fucking terrible because they ended up killing one another and fighting over a scarcity of resources that weren't really scarce. They were just perceived to be scarce and it made everything way worse. Hmm. There, you know, there, there's a great outer limits. I, I just thought about this, so I haven't, I haven't done any research on it, but there's a great outer limits. I remember of a guy, if it's about a guy who's like a prepper and this was old. I mean, this was like, I think when it came on like eighties or nineties, like, and he's like prepping for the nuke war with the, with the USSR. Right. And, uh, he's got his stuff all planned out for him and his family, but his family, like if something goes with, with his wife, like they're out, like the wife and kids are out and they're, or may, I think that they've left him and he's like, no, the war's going to start. You need to get down here. And then they're like, no, we're going to, we don't want to be down there with just you, you know, we're going to tough, tough it out here. And uh, so he locks himself down in the bunker and there's another guy there too. And then of course, you know, two guys trapped in a bunker, shit goes bad, but uh, yeah. good episode. Good episode. Do, do you remember that one? No, not off the top of my head. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's, it's, I love it's, outer limits, but it's really, it's really good. It's really good. Um, yeah. the we'll, other, we'll link to it. I bet we can probably find it somewhere. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's got to be got to be out there somewhere. There was one more um, kind of book or movie that I thought was uh, kind of relevant here, and well, I totally forgot about it. That's okay. I uh. I can talk about a few movies that I think. So this is a French film. It takes place in Paris. Uh, it is most definitely a character study. Uh, it's directed by a French uh, director, as far as I know. Uh, his name is Dominique uh, Rocher. <laughs> sorry. Rocher? Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Dom, if I'm screwing your name up. Uh, so it has a very specific French aesthetic, but the French are really killing it these days, no pun intended, and they're kind of uh, newer meta takes on horror movies. So there have been a handful that I think it fits really well with earlier this year. Um, I, I, uh, talked to you all about a movie called revenge, which is kind of a, a French take on American rape revenge horror movie. Uh, there was also another zombie movie called the cured that came out last year. That was excellent. And one of my favorite movies of 2017 is a movie, a French movie called raw. That's all about, I don't know, kind of two sisters and, I don't know, uh, maybe coming of age, I guess, but they are way different than like new French extremity, which is like ultra violent and like makes a concerted, concerted effort to like, I don't know, gross you out or like show as much gruesomeness as possible to kind of prove a point. Those movies may have gruesome elements to it. Like there are people that eat people in, you know, uh, the night eats the the world, but it's, it's the entire thing is not super gruesome, you know, and, and doesn't have a lot of blood and doesn't have a lot of guts, but it's really more about the characters. And I think that kind of French nuance is bad ass. And we're, we're seeing a lot of it nowadays. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, it, obviously the United States is this kind of like big, engine and driver of the of the the movie world right and and probably the literature literary world too um but just because there's so much stuff going on and there's so much money being poured into it that doesn't necessarily mean like sometimes sometimes there's kind of like a group think like everything kind of kind of starts to feel or look or kind of the same and um and yeah i mean I've, i've done i've done this with some different um kind of genres of books too um, for a while, I really liked uh, kind of like noir fiction, and uh, and then I got introduced to a great series of books from 
Asiatic Press, I think. I'm probably okay. I'm, it, it's like the noir series. It's like it's like Istanbul noir or Tokyo noir. I don't know if there's really. I, I've read uh, Istanbul noir. Um, it's like all these different places, and it's all these different noir takes on that city. And sometimes they're written by American authors, but sometimes they're written by um, by international authors. And it's really cool to see people um, kind of taking you know, taking the genre and then just running with it and doing cool new stuff with it. So I think, I think this is a great example of, of that. Yeah. Uh, it, and it is really great to see the different takes in, in, in what they mean. Right. We talked about the battery, which is very much a Northeastern zombie film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cargo came out last year. It is very much an Australian film, you know, it's an Aust- Australian zombie film. So, yeah. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, you know, has a very, oh, Pittsburghian feel, you know, like it's, it, Uh it, it is from that region. So I think it is fascinating to get a French urban take on this particular subgenre. So the other piece of, I, I think, important data here, right? that you can take back if you're a teacher or you're just interested in this. Like, I think you can use night to really teach a lot of different issues. But the other thing that came up into my kind of brain as I was going through this was, uh, do you know who Harry Harlow is? I do do not. Harry Harlow was this uh, sociologist back in the day that did a bunch of experiments um, about like, familial relationships and about like uh, nurturing like nurture versus nature and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And he did, he did this really famous experiment uh, where he deprived baby monkeys of affection. Oh, this is the monkey torture weirdo. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've read all about him. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't remember the name. Yeah. And I kept thinking to myself, like at some point, like there is, I think it is a beautiful scene and it happens like maybe for about a minute where he's got, Sam's got the zombie that's trapped in the, um, and he's got him trapped in the elevator. Right. Mm-hmm. And he holds his hand and it's like, he's just desperate to have some contact with something that vaguely resembles a human that he's willing to take this huge risk just to hold this zombie's hand. And I immediately thought to Harlow's monkey experiments where like, you know, these, these baby monkeys would have the opportunity to get like this love and affection and it's what they craved. And if they didn't get it, then they died, you know? And, and so I think, uh, certainly, I think the director is trying to tell us something here that like in a vast city full of things, you know, like the, sometimes we, we reach out and, and get the contact where we can. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to furthermore on that on that point, there was there, there was a part of the study that was they were they're presented with two. Uh, the monkeys were presented with two um, with two like mother figures that were not yep. actually that were not actually like real monkeys and one of them was like warm and soft and the other one was not it was like all it was made out of metal and it was like kind of sharp and stuff yeah but the metal one had food and the other one didn't and they would go to the one that was uh that was warm and soft even if it meant that they would didn't have food yeah um so yeah that guy though uh if you read some stuff about him personally was a was a damn psychopath um and and was um at, at eventually like reprimanded for his like bizarre treatment of monkeys for real no good real goddamn reasons so yeah yeah i think we can reflect back on those experiments and and say that perhaps we learned a lot about them but uh it was a pretty shitty thing to do either way well, I mean, and, and like at some point, at some point he was doing it just because he was sadistic. I mean, there's, there's like, um, there's like, there's like good evidence and testimony that there were people around him that were like, I think we got enough of this. And he's like, no, we need to do more. And they're like, well, what's the matter with you? Uh, he, he had, he had some, I think his, his wife had died maybe. 
Um, I'm, I, I read about this maybe a year or two ago, but I'll, I'll try to find some stuff and link it in the in the show notes for people that are interested. It's a it's horrific and shocking and uh, and sad. All right. So uh, eventually, what you learn is um, doing experiments on monkeys about needing companionship turns you into a psychopath. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. Avoid doing that. Speaking of psychopaths. Right. Oh, not everybody yay. liked this movie. No, so, they did not. So in, 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 in general, right? We're not just talking about anonymous Amazon guy. In general, um, not everybody liked this movie. Right? Do you I think I think a lot of people kind of maybe walked in the wrong walked in the wrong door maybe and were like expecting one thing and got another? Do you think that that's fair? Yeah, I mean, when you're like it's a zombie novel or a, a zombie movie, you know, like I, I think if you're the type that's like, yeah, I want, you know, lots of zombies tearing people's insides out, then, yeah. Uh, I want a guy is, fashioning a silencer onto the end of a submachine gun and then headshots from here on right, out. You know, like, right. can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, I think uh, probably not your favorite movie. So I could see how your immediately immediate response to it could be uh, less than favorable. But... Here, here, this is interesting. It is 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? Okay, I'm good. But it's only 54% with purely the audience score. Oh. So it's one of those movies that has a pretty significant split between the two. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, probably when something like this drops on... um, Amazon Prime, and it's. Uh, I think I paid like a buck ninety nine to rent it. Um, I think that brings in a lot of people, and they see zombie movie, and they go in expecting, you know, just like what we talked about, uh, and you know, maybe maybe get disappointed. I think if you go, you know, if you're if you're looking for something that's, you know, a little bit different, that is like you said, a character study. I think this is just phenomenal. You know? Yep. Well, I I will also tell you. One of the things that piqued my interest initially about this movie is its cover art, its one sheet, is almost identical to another French movie that I really, or another movie based in France, I should say, it's not French, um, that I really liked. It's a found footage film that came out last year called As Above, So Below. That is like a big allegory for Dante's Inferno, which I thought was pretty cool. So. Very I was cool. like, holy shit, I, I thought it was the same movie at first. So, huh. Also, if you're one of the audience members that gave this a low score, go fuck yourself, because the, <laughs> the Grinch is currently higher than the audience score of The Night Eats the World. Huh. That's it, a travesty. The, the The Night Eats the World also has a very has a has a pretty low sixty nine percent on of Google users, and I've noticed that like the Google kind of function. Uh, usually, uh, usually rates movies pretty high. So 69% is a little bit, a little bit low, I thought. But Interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, not everybody's going to like it. So. Yeah. Um, but just know if you didn't, then we're going to judge the shit out of you. So. <laughs> cool. Really. All right. Let's, let's judge the shit out of this guy here. Uh, you want me to read this one? I haven't, you picked this one out. Yeah, I picked it out. I don't even know if I've read the whole thing. So knock yourself out, buddy. Okie dokie. So every week we read an anonymous Amazon user and what they wrote on Amazon in public about this movie. So here we go. It is really a one-man show. Sam, who in real life or a half-believable storyline was far too stupid to live. (laughs) Jesus. I, I actually twice during this movie rooted for him, routed for him to die. I think he means rooted. Rooted for him to die. Once when he was trying to lure a cat to become a pet, which refused to come to him, he shot it. I don't think he ever shot it. Yeah. I think he shot at it, but I don't Mm -hmm. think we were ever led to believe that he actually killed it. Yeah. The other instance, in parentheses, I wanted him to die, was I am sure a (laughs) left-wing propaganda statement where he shot the only other survivor we see through the door without so much as who is there or anything. Only an idiot shoots through the door without knowing what is on the other side? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I am a, 
I'm a retired Marine. Even in combat, you do not shoot blind in waste am- It. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. It wastes. It wastes ammunition. Somebody needs to just use Grammarly when they <laughs> write their anonymous Amazon reviews. It wastes ammunition, and you might shoot some little child, grow a pair, pick your target, look first, even in the zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse is capitalized. <laughs> this guy capitalizes he's zombie ready. apocalypse. Yeah, he's, he's ready. ready. Yeah, he's ready. Not to mention the hole in the door. You kind of do not want to open a door when you are trying to stay away from zombies. Duh. And the noise, which would draw more. When anyone but a moron squeezes the trigger, they think of what is downrange. Do you have a target? Is it worth it? And much more all in the fraction of a second. It just keeps going and going. About halfway, I started hitting the advanced button just to speed it up, hoping something interesting would happen. It never does. The best part was it ended not the ending, but that it was over. Mot the ending, but it was over. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Um, wow. Ah, that's that. That one was tough. Yeah. I think next time we're gonna have to run this through Grammarly because these people can't write. Who's, it was too hard to to actually read. Yeah. Yeah, man. I I think this is probably a great example of those that like the zombie apocalypse, like action, action, shoot, shoot, shoot. Let us fetishize the kind of survival instinct. And then those folks that really enjoy a character study, maybe a little more character development, maybe a little more plot development, <laughs> a little bit more to it. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, anonymous Amazon user. Uh, I, I don't think it was left wing propaganda. Uh, like I never felt that there was like an anti-gun message to this movie. <laughs> Like, no, if, if it was left-wing propaganda, this is what would have happened. The zombie apocalypse would have happened. And then, as he's being eaten by zombies, after going through the entire apartment, he would have yelled, No, if they only let people have the freedom to have guns in Europe. If just I was in America, the land of the... That would have been some left-wing propaganda. Yeah, uh... <laughs> Or, or, if, or right-wing propaganda. I don't yeah, know. right-wing, right-wing. Yeah. Uh, it would have been left-wing propaganda if, as he was being like torn apart, he screamed, if only I had universal socialized medicine to put me back together. <laughs> that would have been, that, you know, Alexandria Ocasio or, or you know, uh, Cortez in, in 2020. That would have been some liberal left-wing propaganda. But I, I didn't hear any of that. So I think maybe, uh, I think... I think maybe I missed it, but eh, whatever. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, I think again, to, to I, each it, their own Mikey. Well, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before for a group of people that really propose to value, you know, you know, being, being tough and not taking crap and not being the victim Man, people on the right are sure the victim of left-wing propaganda all the time, right? Yeah, man, they've infiltrated their their zombie apocalypse. Who would have thought Night of the Living Dead would have led to a political film? (laughs) Yeah, who would have thought that? Yeah, no way. I just don't see it. Hey, whatever, man. I'm I'm glad uh, our Marine always checks... uh, what what down downfield? What is that? You're a gun guy. I don't da- know. Downrange. Down yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm a I'm a retired marine. You know what? Anybody that writes I'm a retired marine in an Amazon review probably not a retired marine. <laughs> Just for the record, Michael uh, served in the military. I feel like <laughs> he can say that. I cannot. So uh, yeah, I, I was I, I, <laughs> I, I was in the army. You know, you know, the Marines are a department of the Navy. Did you know that? I I don't I don't doubt that. Yeah. I having served in no, none of the branches feel yeah. like I should sit this whole internal argument out. Yeah. As, okay. <laughs> so actually, did you know that Marine is actually it's a it's a acronym? Oh. Did you know that? 
we're yeah, gonna lose. Act- we're gonna lose all thirteen Marines that listen to this uh, podcast. But go all ahead. The, all the retired Marines that live in Idaho that that uh, listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Marine is a uh, is an acronym. It's it, it stands for My Ass Rides in Navy Equipment. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, the Marine, but not Marines because there wasn't a an S there too. My My Ass Rides in Navy Equipment. Shit bag. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, man, what are we going to talk about next week? Uh, next week, we have a special guest, uh, director of a couple of our really, really, really favorite films, uh, including the recently released They Remain. Uh, Phil Jalot is going to be on next week's episode, and we're going to be talking about the Johnny Depp classic, The Ninth Gate and other scary books. I freaking love the Ninth Gate. I love I it. I love it. I love I it. I don't love that it's directed by a pedophile, though. It was it really? Who? Uh, it's uh, you know, what's his name? Rosemary's Baby. Oh, that guy's awful. Roman Polanski's yeah. a terrible yeah. scumbag. Yeah, darn but it! But that oh, movie is, is so Plans- great, though. Yeah, 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 it's got it's got a Dodge Viper in it. It's a great movie. Oh, All right, of course. Until then, uh, class dismissed. <laughs>